You're listening to The Loke Show, presented by Smartling. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of The Loke Show. I'm your host, Adrian Cohn with Smartling, the language translation company that moves the world with words. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is Mario Pluzny. He's the localization manager at Memrise, which is a language learning application. How many of you speak more than one language? How many of you speak more than two languages? Um, if you're trying to learn another language, then Memrise is a platform that you may want to check out for yourself. But before you do that, don't go anywhere. Take a listen to how Mario Pluzny manages translation and localization for a language learning application. Let's get into it. Mario, it's great to have you on the Loke Show. How's everything going today? Good, good, thanks. Yeah, just another Monday, ready to conquer the week. Me too. I'm, I'm excited for this week. I'm excited to be speaking with you today. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, Mario. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm Mario. I grew up in Germany. Um, I've always loved languages, you know, so I, I, I did linguistics in uni. Um, I spent some time abroad. I spent some time in the U.S. and sort of discovered that love for, for other cultures and learning languages. And, and I came to Memrise um, about four years ago now. And I moved to London um, in the UK to, to take on an opportunity. And I moved into localization, you know, two and a half years ago. And there was an opportunity. And this is how I came, I came to be localization manager here at Memrise. Wow. Where, where in the United States did you travel to or live in? I spent some time in Minnesota. Um, I was at a really small college. Um, shout out to St. Olaf College, if, if anyone will be listening. Um, and yeah, it, it was a very good time. It was a small college, uh, about 3,000 students. And, um, and yeah, this is where I learned to speak English. And I've gone back and forth to be, you know, sound more German or, or English or American. So people always, you know, try to pinpoint my accent and they have a little bit of a hard time doing that. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I I I, um, I, I don't know Saint Olaf. What was uh, what was life like there? It was um, you know in Germany in Europe. You know people have this idea about the U.S. And, and you know college and college parties. It was it was not quite like that. It was fairly small, um, a small liberal arts college. It was very nice, very open. Um, I was one of the few you know Germans and sort of international students, so it felt like. You know, it felt a little bit like a movie, you know, going there and experiencing life and, and just being able to make friendships. I mean, that was the important thing for me. You know, like throughout my life, I've loved to connect with people and learn more about their culture and telling them about Germany and stereotypes and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, and it was cold. You know, Minnesota is one of those states where January was You need a, you need a, a really good winter jacket in Minnesota. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I I um I understand the the interest and urge to travel abroad, especially during the college years. I spent a little bit of time living in London, um, as it turns out, cool. in two thousand and nine, and I worked for a I did a work study program. I worked for a little company called Cameo Productions, and they made radio advertisements for films that were coming out in the 
uh, United Kingdom and throughout Europe, on my first day of work, Colin Firth walked in the door. No way. It was so cool. That's cool. I mean, that, that was a awesome. that was a good day one. <laughs> when you when you were at when you were at St. Olaf, um, I see on on LinkedIn that you did a little bit of coursework in cognitive neuroscience. What do you remember from that coursework? Yeah, that was that was cool. It was one of those things that throughout my linguistic studies, I had this interest in in you know the linguistic, the kind of developmental side of how we learn languages and what happens in the brain and also when it breaks down. So I was interested in when systems break down and how can we map, you know, the brain to learning languages and, and that kind of thing. And it was very advanced. I was still learning to adapt to everything. This was my fall semester. So the first few months I was there and it was quite advanced. You know, I was the only international student who would try and, you know, having a, a stab at that um, advanced level. Um, coursework, but I really enjoyed it. It was very small classes, so it was really good to get, you know, you could ask questions and it's just about 10, 15 people rather than in, in Europe where you have huge lecture halls sometimes or bigger universities in general. So it was fairly, it was fairly good, almost cross-functional and, and I did really enjoy it. Um, psycholo- psychology as a whole is something that I'm really, really interested in. That's cool. So now you're, you're, um, you're over at Memrise. Um, tell us about the company. What do you guys do? Absolutely. Um, Memrise is a language learning platform um, that has been around for about 10 years. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary, in fact, in, in yeah. September. Congrats. Um, thanks. Yeah, so our co-founder, our founders, Ed, Ed Cook and, and also Ben Waitley, um, have sort of this you know, background in, in memory, especially Ed. He's a former you know, um, memory champion. And, and so the, the foundations were basically little mnemonics, learning languages based on applying techniques from memory memory palaces and breaking it down to make it a bit easier to learn a foreign language and not to have, you know, it, it can be hugely overwhelming. So we're, we're trying to break that down and, and, you know, help people to learn languages as they're really spoken. So we compiled this huge video dictionary of, of native speakers, you know, saying little phrases that you can use in everyday language. And so our brand, our approach is a little bit different from the other other companies that you may know, um, you know, Duolingo and Bubble and Busu are some others in, in that in that field. Um, and yeah, our mission is to um, enrich people's minds, to enrich their worlds. That's actually what we're trying to do. So help everyone learn a language in a better way and, and really, you know, connect connect with, with, with other people, essentially. I love it. I, um, I love that, that uh, mission that you just shared. Enrich, say it one more time, enrich. Enrich people's minds to enrich their worlds. So that, that is the idea. I love that. That is so cool. And language really is the, a, a key to unlocking so much of the world. I mean, so many people... Um, including myself, who, who have had the opportunity to travel abroad, always talk about how language is one of the key elements of a trip because it, it adds a level of excitement and, um, and uh, energy to an experience that is really unmatched. And for me, since I don't speak other languages, what I enjoy most is just hearing people speak and... Um, it's almost what I enjoy is not knowing. It's like the curiosity of what's happening. But learning a language is, it is hard. I've tried it. I've talked about that on the podcast. I 
didn't succeed. I think that in order for me to really learn a language, I'll have to learn, live in a different place. Like maybe memorize could prove that wrong for me, which I would be so grateful for. Um, but I, I'm curious, you know, right now with, um, the global pandemic, a lot of people have been home and they have taken on new projects. And I've heard a couple of people say that one of the projects they've taken on is language learning. Has Memorize seen an increase in utilization because of people staying at home and taking on new projects? Yeah, I think we definitely have earlier on in the year, around March, April. And, and I think then, you know, like many other companies, it, it slowly you know, it slowly declined again, or at least it, it almost went back to normal levels as people got more used to life at home. But um, it certainly is, is, you know, localization as a whole in that industry is certainly one that has not been as affected as many other in industries. So that's something that I can definitely say. Mm. Well, I think it's really neat that, you know, my business is translation, your work product is translation, but your company's product is language learning. So tell me a little bit about how do you fit into this company? It must be a, like a, a much different experience than localization managers have because the understanding of language is just at the core of what you all do. I agree with you. And this is one of the beauties when it all came together. You know, when I relocated, I, I, I was doing German translation work and I was doing a little bit of linguistic research and German course creation content creation, but only when I transitioned into localization, I really saw exactly what you were just describing. And, and just, it's almost a little bit meta that the product that I try to localize this language, so it, it can get complex. I think one of the challenges that we have seen is, you know, how many language pairs. We offer more than 200 language pairs that people can learn languages, and depending on what language they come from, it's a very different experience. So we also need to try and take that into account as we try to localize from English into the supported UI and marketing languages. And um, I really hugely enjoy it. I think it's definitely, I found my passion in this field and it combines all of my interests in some way. So it's definitely been, been a good, a good role. Do, do, um, is there like a, do, do all of your colleagues speak multiple languages? Is that part of the, like the process of working at Memrise or how does that work? I, I want to say maybe not part of the process, but definitely part of the culture. I mean, that there is this, you know, shared love and interest and curiosity for other languages and other cultures. So I think most people definitely speak at least one other language. Um, we also have people who speak more than one. I mean, we, you know, we, uh, we've also been involved in helping with the Polyglot Conference, which is, which is a huge you know, annual conference for polyglots, people who speak multiple languages. Um, some, you know, Rob, my colleague, he, he speaks up to, I think, 15 languages. So it's just, you know, some of, some of the more, more sort of extreme, uh, more than a hobby, I, I want to say. Yeah, imagine um, that, so. 15. I know, I know. For me, it's only four. And, and it, it can even get complex with that sort of, you know, lower, lower number of languages that you're trying to juggle. Um, but yeah, the company language is obviously English. And then we have, I think if I were to bring up current numbers, we have more than 30 nationalities. I think a huge number of people from across the world that, that work with us and, and speak all these different languages. So tell me a little bit about the content. What, what are the different content types? What is the training material like? You mentioned earlier that there are images that you utilize as association mechanisms. So what, what, what is the memorize? user experience yeah um so 
We have definitely seen a you know an increase in video content, and ultimately, this is where the the product and and you know our, our um, I suppose how we differentiate ourselves from other from other platforms similar in the same space would be the video content. And so we we offer videos um, where people can immerse themselves. So we have this immerse and communicate feature where, where users can come in and see how the language is used um, in in day to day language, actual real footage of native speakers, you know, saying certain daily phrases in context. Um, so video localization has been a huge focus. Um, and other than that, we have mobile, you know, UI strings. So across iOS, Android, and the web. Um, and then marketing, you know, supporting what the product function is trying to build, um, you know, uh, increasing our user base, bringing in revenue. So marketing materials will be email, CRM messaging, you know, app and play stores. It's kind of the usual um, and then we recently launched for in our HubSpot CMS. So we actually launched a very brand new website for a content marketing website in 14 languages. So that will be the kind of content to showcase what we have to offer and how we're different. And, and also collaborating with brand and comms design to really paint that, you know, you know, try to differentiate our brand from other brands. There is no business unit that does not require or touch the localization pipeline, it sounds like, at Memorize. So you, you, you do the product localization as well as the, the marketing localization? Yeah, um, and, and that's, in, in fact, where we may have seen, you know, some of the challenges that it's just, you know, I've, I, um, you often hear the word like a one-person army, and, and I'm, I'm one of those people where the, the department is essentially me and then the outsourced work of freelance linguists that I work with. Um, so it's just me and the product and marketing uh, localization work follows sort of one process. So it is a little bit of trying to do one size fits all versus, you know, how can we deliver for everyone and the different stakeholder needs essentially. So let's pretend for a moment that you only speak German and I only speak English, but we both want to learn Italian. Is is your product served to would it be served to you in German to learn yes. Italian? And then it would be served yes. to me in English. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I was referring to with the 200 language pairs. So there may be combinations we don't have, or we don't offer them just yet, but so the level of detail, it gets really complex. So the UI will be, you know, we actually always juggle three languages. So we, we always juggle the language you want to learn your native language, which is you can select the language you speak, but your UI language may yet be in another language. So, it can get complex, um, you know, what language is your phone in versus is that the language from which you want to learn? I mean, in most cases, it's identical, but it can get complex. And, um, and yeah. So you're doing a lot of video content. And I think a lot of brands are starting to get more, more than dabble with video content. They're kind of going full in. So how do you all think about producing these videos? Are you producing videos that have like it's just a voice recording that way you can swap the voice recording and use the same imagery or is there text on the screen that has to be swapped out? I mean, that's, it's complicated and it's hard to scale that. Yeah, I agree. We have a media department and, and they sort of together with content. So I'm part of the same department, which is media content localization. And, um, you know, so far the focus for me has been marketing and product, you know, microcopy. And on the video, on the actual course content side, we do have a dedicated in-house content team. And they actually help with the footage. And they you know, have been starring as 
actors and you know, actresses themselves in many cases. So we do film, you know, we have over, over the course of the pandemic, we have released new content, new video content of, you know, my colleagues being at home, essentially filming themselves and then that going into the production pipeline and then the, you know, the subtitles being added in. So the target, but also the source language subs will be added later, later on. Holy cow. That's got to be an enormous operation to support this. What you mentioned before that your process for marketing and for, for product are the same in a perfect world. Let's say you're not a one man team and you have a little bit more help or whatever it is. What would be your, like, what would you change? That's a really good question. I think, um, you know, that the way I often see it in our industry is just that, you know, the, the emergence of, of machine translation and, and how that is obviously growing. So for marketing, I'm still a little bit skeptical that, you know, that can be used, um, you know, without human, human input, obviously. So I would think what I would change is on the product, I would try to make it a bit more hands off, you know, try to build something that is just very almost like a self-serve model. You know, we work with Jira internally to track all of the tasks that come in and maybe just connect that to the TMS even a bit more and then also have, you know, the repository where every day maybe you have some, you know, it compares what is new content, what are new strings, try to populate that with MT. And on the marketing side, I would I would almost build out um, more of what we're already doing, which is have human translators, have human content creators work on the marketing copy and tailor that even more you know, so that we can build our global brand and we can deliver even more, enable even more international growth and, and revenue that way. Kind of funny because you could almost like pitch to your customer base that any like translate, you could almost reward your customer base for finding translation errors <laughs> in a way. Because like, I mean, you said you want to use machine translation more liberally in the product and it would be kind of cool if you almost gamified the utilization of machine translation in the platform. People who, That's find, really, right, yeah. people who find a typo get a, you know, a credit or something. <laughs> That's a really cool idea. I've never thought about that. It almost reminds me of when, um, I guess, Facebook initially early on had almost a, a community model of supporting the huge needs for localization and the huge volumes. And that could be an interesting thing to do. And I definitely, you know, gathering more data is something I would change. I, I want to get my hands on everything that we can, that we have, you know, user experience, NPS, and just see where are the issues in the UI, but also in course content. And we already do that. We do have a community forum where users can report in the translation of courses, you know. So we're teaching someone, you know, how are you? And, and I'd like two beers. And that is localized into Italian if you're learning English from Italian. And if there is a mistake, users do can report that already. And we will do our best to use our internal system to try and, you know, to try and, uh, and update that. It's, it, it, it's, it's, I, I just, the part that I can't sort of get beyond in this episode is that the product that you all offer is language learning. It's just such a unique tool. I just, I love the, I love the opportunity you provide your user base with. It's so cool. The, um, so do you, how often are you meeting with the product team to talk about the translation pipeline and how often are you releasing new versions of the tool? So like what sort of pressure are you under? 
Um, yeah, the pressure on the products that it has been, it has been decent. Um, you know, for a while we've been sort of trying to set ourselves up for the future and see what should the next, what should the next MVP almost, what should the next product uh, version look like? Um, and very often we, we do that in English first and then test, you know, and then add other languages. So, um, I, I meet with the product and also with the marketing team on a weekly basis and, um, and we have a weekly release cycle. So we do release a new version of the app for iOS and Android every week. But I have actually tried to counteract that by delivering localization work twice a week so that if you miss your cycle and you have another chance to get everything in before you release your, your UI. So initially, we only send work to our freelancers once a week and it would come back. And so I tried to be a bit more agile and I actually added another cycle. So now twice a week, I send my work to my external team, it comes back, and then you know that way the, the app can can be delivered on a faster basis. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And you say that um, you work directly with freelance translators. So yes. tell me a little bit about that. I mean, we we think at Smartling that like knowing the person who translate your content is so important. Being able to communicate with them directly, I assume that you share that philosophy since you've gone through the the effort of identifying and working individually with people. Yes, um, I, I absolutely 100% agree with you. I think, especially for us, as you know, where language learning is the product that like we have said, and language is what we're selling. So if the language that we're selling is off, customers are not going to be interested in purchasing anything. So it is even more important to have that direct contact with, with my linguist, with my freelance translator. And the better they know the product, the better you know, they will be at actually tweaking the message and making it even more local and more relevant to users in their source, in their markets. Um, and I was given the network of freelancers when I, when I took over this job. So we already had a really good network. They have been working with us for several years. Some of them, they were even here before I joined. So it is that philosophy that you mentioned. And, and I try to be as clear as I can every week. Um, we did a Zoom call. Actually, the pandemic kind of helped me to you know, connect with them. And we had never done a call before. And I, and I was able to meet some of them face to face to even, you know, to make it feel even closer that we're all one team, we're delivering on one message and on one brand. So that was actually quite almost an opportunity this year to do that. It, it is funny how, despite the fact that we are all isolated, there has been a sincere um, community or, or, or a sincere sense of closer community with people, either who you work with or family and friends, because you have the ability to hop on a Zoom and see them two feet away from where you're sitting um, whenever, the, whenever you want to. You know, I, I was just thinking that the translators who you work with must be so excited to, to get assignments from you because there are, there are a lot of different types of businesses out there. And translators have mentioned to me in the past that there's some work that's more exciting than other work. And I think that's not a shock to anybody. I mean, we all have had assignments that we enjoy more than others, but um, it must be really, they must, your translators must feel like very empowered when they get to work on your content because they also love language. Otherwise they wouldn't be translators. So they must feel a, a great sense of pride in, in taking on your, your projects. Yeah, I would hope so. It's, it's an interesting point that you're making. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way, um, that the product is, you know, as a translator, the product is language and you get to work on that. And um, the feedback has been positive. You know, I, I always try to make them feel good and appreciate them and, and also try to, 
you know, there are things like paying them uh, fairly and accurately and, and all these things and just being a good, you know, good client overall. But there is the added interest maybe in, in language and, and trying to reach people through the means of communication and the means of language. And it's an interesting point um, for sure. What keeps, you, uh, what keeps you up at night when you think about the work that you have to deliver for Memrise? What, do you, what, what part of the translation process is concerning most to you? That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I think we talked about quality. You know, <clears throat> there's always more you can do. Um, so I think delivering on time, but also keeping the brand and, and making sure that you know, at least what we deliver in, in other markets is as good as it is in English. So I'm definitely concerned. And just overall, the product health, you know, like that we're, we're continuing to grow and that I can play a part in that. And um, yeah, and, and just, you know, keeping people engaged, keeping people from coming back to the app and building that habit. I think learning a language is hugely complex. Um, I've done it myself a few times and the challenge of doing that in an app, you know, in a little screen on your phone and you're competing for attention, essentially, I think that is the crucial part. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's probably the main thing that it keeps me up is how can I do my best to actually deliver a message that is consistent, that is high quality, there is no errors and people understand what we're trying to do and see the value and, and therefore come back and maybe purchase a plan so they can learn even in, in a better way. It's so interesting what you just said that you know, uh, as a mobile product, you're competing for attention for users who are in your app on the phone because it, it is so easy to just swipe up like a quarter inch and then transition to another app when you're on, a, on an iPhone. I assume the same is similar with, with an Android or other device. I don't know. Um, but it's so easy to change an application. And I've never thought about how much you're competing <laughs> when you're when you're on that device, even if you're in a product that you love, definitely. And I think my other point here would be that there's also the sort of a thin line between using your screen a lot, and and in this case for something useful, but also being aware of the mental health implications of spending almost too much time on your screen. And we're competing with that as well. You know, people may be tired at the end of the day, so how can they fit in? their 10 minutes of language learning. And, and so we've also tried in the past to do something like a podcast and to have audio only experiences where you can be a bit more screen free and maybe hands free and you can go for a walk and still do your daily lessons, but actually not be as, as involved with your screen and with your eyes. <clears throat> yeah. Also, I mean, language is such an important part of language is the audible element of it. Right. So it's, um, this is a, a good opportunity to, to listen to people speaking, I would, I would guess. Definitely. And, and before I actually worked in localization, it was sort of my area was more to develop listening skills experiences. And this was something in uni I was interested in. And how is, how is the stream of words that come into your brain? How is that processed? And how can we set up our app so that people get better at listening to language and picking out the individual parts? Because that is always the biggest challenge is you may know the words, but they, they just blend in into one, one big stream of, of unintelligible, um, you know, mashed something, right? So, so I think that is a big challenge, definitely. You, you definitely strike me as someone who has found a place to work that is 100% in line with where you want to be. 
I think so. I mean, it, it's been really four wonderful years so far. And, um, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to solving challenges. And I think that's where, where my passion is, is learning to, you know, continue to grow, help the business and, yeah, to do what I love. And localization as a whole is, is really where it all comes together, I think. What do you think is important for the localization industry to be focusing on right now? What are the, the top things that you'd like to see? Um, it's a really good question and I'm not sure I can speak for, you know, for this entire industry. I, I, I've been taking part in some, you know, networking and and some events. And I think it's just important to come together, you know, the the sort of global approach of solving problems together and connecting and inspiring each other. I think rather than just focusing on how can we translate words the cheapest possible way or something like that. So there is a bigger theme throughout the pandemic that I have observed, which is, inspire each other you know how can we learn from each other how can we grow together um, and solve the challenges you know globally yeah community it sounds like that's what you're speaking to is community people coming together and learning from one another obviously we feel very strongly about that at smartling that's why we have this podcast and other things that we do um it, 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 there is an opportunity for that, isn't there? It's just, it's just getting, getting um, to me, Mario, what I've observed over, over five and a half years in the industry is there's an opportunity to elevate the profile of what localization means to business. There, there's so much opportunity for the people who I come into contact with every day, yourself included to who actually play a big role in the company, yet um, there's more opportunity for alignment, alignment with product, alignment with executives, alignment with um, marketing teams. It's it's a very interesting category or, or like service that you provide within your company and that localization teams play within their companies. And um, I, I found the, the people to be so interesting. Um, yet there is opportunity for, for people to come together and, and grow their, their roles within, within the industry that they work in and within the companies they work in. Yes. Um, alignment, I think, is, is a key word here that we, we haven't touched upon so far yet. And, and I think that is one of the ever-present challenges. And, and also the opportunity for localization is to to move that more at the center of everything that the company is trying to do and to see that really is something that can enable your your success and your international growth rather than being what you also mentioned here a service right rather than being a service function and if i had to choose you know i would love my for my company to recognize that even more and say well actually not just because you're you know you're good at what you're doing but the whole function is so important mm. and how can we move this at the beginning of everything we do or at least move it a little bit further along and align everything a little bit better um, to, you know, really see the value. And for me to show that value, I think that that is the most crucial element is the raising awareness for what I do and how can I support the, the business? Yeah. What are, what are some of the activities that you do to drive alignment? That's a good one. I think what we, what I have tried to do is, is just, you know, raise the profile and speak more about what I do not be shy, um, you know, and, and just keep 
sending people updates, you know, maybe a monthly newsletter where we say this is what we have been up to. Document everything, you know, be be really present and be really involved. You know, um, just join other other stand-ups, other meetings, and just say this. I just want to listen in, so I get an idea of what you do. And here is also what I do. So that's one of the things. And um, and slowly the company has been recognizing that more. Okay, we, we do have a stakeholder here who needs to be involved and who we want to involve. And and there is that dual, you know, the, the two-way communication as well. Mm, yeah, communication is important, right? Definitely. And I think throughout this pandemic, it, it, that has also been the challenge to kind of, you know, how do we communicate just in writing or via Slack or when things break, you know, what do we do to reach each other and to really not, you know, not block a certain stream of work or a certain release. So how can we still make it, you know, make magic happen in, in a way? Mario, it's been so much fun getting to know you today, um, speaking with you about Memorize and your, his, your, your, your path to Memorize and your love of languages. Who else should we talk to on The Lok Show? Who else do you think would be a great fit for sharing their story? That's a really good question. Um, I know a friend of mine who would love to be on the show is Javi, um, Javier Diaz. He, he is actually the, the creator of, of Lock Live, which is an initiative by Aclaro. Um, and so I know he would obviously lo- love to speak to you. Um, so yeah, if you can get your hands on, on that, I think that would be, that would be cool. Cause he is the, you know, community is, is his big thing and he is on the, um, you know, more on the vendor side, maybe more like yourself. And for me, I'm more on the, you know, if you have that distinction vendor and buyer. So he also sees things a little bit from a different perspective, but, but yeah, I think he would love to speak to you, um, about what, we, what he's trying to do. Amazing. Mario, thank you for being such a fantastic guest. It was great to meet you today. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Mario, thank you so much for being an incredible guest on The Loke Show. It was so much fun getting a chance to know you today. And I cannot imagine how much work it is to manage uh, so many different source languages. Wow. That must be incredible. If you liked this episode of The Loke Show, it would make my day if you headed over to the podcast player that you're using to listen to this and give us a five-star review. And hey, if you loved this episode of The Loke Show, share it with a friend. Um, Write a review on the podcast player or better yet, send me an email, lokeshow at smartling.com and let me know what you enjoyed and who else you think we should be interviewing on the podcast. That does it for us this week. Thanks and see you next time.